The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, the best-kept secret about climate change. Meet Keegan Kuhn, director of of Cow Conspiracy, I'm sorry, Cowspiracy, and get the facts about animal agriculture and the environment. The UN climate talks in Paris are happening now, and almost everyone is thinking about fossil fuels. But what if a different kind of fuel is taking a huge toll on our environment, and we could change that by changing our diets? It's true. Some of the foods fueling our bodies are devastating our water supplies, bringing other species to extinction, destroying our rainforests, and creating major amounts of greenhouse gases, and most of us don't want to know about it. Yeah, that's me. That's you. And me. (laughs) Until now. In their groundbreaking documentary, Cowspiracy, Keegan Kuhn and Kip Anderson are shaking us up about the impact of animal agriculture on our planet, and it's making lots of us feel really uncomfortable. Today, meet Keegan, co-director of the film, hear the shocking facts about animal agriculture, and learn the story of this film, which has gotten the backing of Leonard uh, DiCaprio. Should we all phase out meat? Judge for yourself. In the meantime, check out our video, Cowspiracy Conspiracy, on Interrevolutionary TV, voiceamerica.tv. And now, here's Beth. Well, I am so excited. Uh, the first thing I'm going to ask Keegan when we get on the air with him is how do you actually pronounce his name? But you are going to have to wait for that exciting answer. Okay, are you on the edge of your seats? Because first, we are going to have, don't let me forget to ask, James, you're sniffing. Don't let me forget to ask Keegan that, uh, that important question. But first, we have the news of the inner revolution. And if you feel have been feeling depressed lately by reading the news, I have too. Okay, go with, with it, James. Okay, here's a cheerful bit of news. Okay. <laughs> it seems many of our neighbors up north in Canada have taken a more welcoming approach to Syrian refugees. Here's a story about how one couple has made a difference. The story is from Christine, the producer of our show. From CBC News, November 19th. Samantha Jackson and Farzine Yousafine canceled expensive wedding plans and had a small Toronto City Hall ceremony instead of to help get together money to sponsor a Syrian family of four. The couple accepted donations in lieu of gifts. Jackson told CBC News, We thought this really has to be an opportunity for us to really use our wedding as a platform, as a way to make a difference alongside our friends and family in what has obviously become an absolutely outstanding humanitarian crisis. Jackson, a Ph.D. student at Ryerson University, studies refugee health care policy and volunteers with an organization sponsoring refugees in Toronto. While planning their wedding, she and Yousefian often talked about the global refugee crisis and wondered if they could help. The two, with their wedding funds and the donations from family and friends, have raised $17,500 of the $27,000 needed to sponsor the family of four for two years, and donations continue to come in to meet the need. 
Related refugee stories from Canada. A Vancouver Jewish temple has raised $40,000 to sponsor a Syrian refugee family. Saskatchewan is setting up a settlement center to help Syrian refugees. Refugees are to be temporarily housed at military sites in Quebec, Ontario. You know, this is such a beautiful story. You know, the inner revolution is about everybody really getting on board with oneness, accountability, and mutual support. It's really us changing inside and then changing our behavior and changing the world and really being willing to confront what's wrong, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us. Well, you know, I just want to say something about uh, that's in relation to this. Everybody's hearing now about the San Bernardino shootings, and apparently there, are, uh, there is a Muslim connection. And, you know, I always shudder when that's the case because, oh, great, an excuse to attack and have prejudice on all the millions of people who had nothing to do with it, right? And, uh, you know, everybody's feeding into this. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. I mean, whenever there is an attack in the West that feeds into that anti-Muslim sentiment, which then gets uh, the, everyone else all riled up and then they come down on Muslims and that'll give more excuse for people to bring in more Muslims to support ISIS. And it's just so discouraging. And so to um, remind ourselves that there are people who still have their heads on and realize that you can't blame a whole people. And the other thing I want to say about this, and I know this had nothing to do with your story directly, James, but I can't help myself because <laughs> this is new. You know, this is really just happening. As you know, you don't see San Bernardino has been full of hate crimes, including lots and lots of Nazi and skinhead hate crimes. And there's all kinds of crime going on in this poor community. I mean, they're really struggling. And when you have a white person or a Christian person who shoots someone, they never say, we should deport all Christians from the nation. So that's all I have to say about that. So please carry on. Okay, then. You are probably all aware that we are in the middle of international climate talks in Paris. This is pretty much a do-or-die situation. In the U.S., however, there is a battle raging about climate change. Here are three related news items from this week. First, here's a story December 2nd from CNN. COP21, which means the 21st Conference of Parties of the U.N., Climate Change Summit, Obama optimistic about agreement. According to CNN, it's crunch time to get a deal on what U.S. President Barack Obama calls an ambitious global climate change agreement. Leaders of 150 nations are in the third day of the COP21 conference to try to tackle climate change on a global political level. Many officials will convene in working groups before coming together and potentially hashing out an agreement. In a wide-ranging press conference on Tuesday, Obama said he thinks the conference will succeed. I'm optimistic, he said. I think we're going to solve it. I think the issue is just going to be the pace and how much damage is done before we're able to fully apply the brakes. Obama listed several criteria for a potential agreement, including an ambitious target to reduce carbon output, a slate of tools to measure countries' progress, and a legally binding mechanism to ensure countries adhere to their carbon reduction commitments. He said negotiators should insist upon a single transparency mechanism that all countries are adhering to. So you'd think we would be celebrating, but go on to the next story. 
While the world is uniting to combat climate change, the Republican Party is uniting to undermine those efforts. Here's a story from CNN December 1st. House votes to reject Obama climate change regulations. Hours after President Barack Obama pushed for an international agreement to combat climate change, the GOP-led House of Representatives voted to block that effort and demonstrate the President didn't have support in his own country. The House passed a pair of resolutions, largely along party lines, that would prevent the Environmental Protection Agency from implementing rules the administration released earlier this year to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Both measures, already approved by the Senate in October, now go to the White House, which has already vowed to veto them. And the Democrats maintain Republicans don't have the vote to override any veto, so the whole thing seems like a waste of time. You know, this is so sad. I, I really, you know, I hate to be bashing Republicans, but I think that, you know, the story should be over already. We've had so many guests on who've talked about climate change and the science, like Catherine Hayhoe. You know, we shouldn't be arguing about whether or not there's climate change or whether or not that the human, you know, factor is speeding it up. We should be going on to the solution. So this is not exactly interrevolutionary news. It's kind of down. But it's also the up because people are speaking up. I mean, there were thousands of uh, demonstrations for climate action. And we just have to acknowledge that there is this backlash happening. But we can still do something about that. And so that brings us to our last story. Yes. The fight against climate action is showing up on another front. Evidently, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration had previously published findings that global warming had paused. But recently, they released new information indicating that warming trends were substantially larger than what the earlier data set indicated. Well, that created an uproar among Republicans. Here's a story about it. The Washington Post reported this on November the 25th. A top House lawmaker's confrontation with government researchers over a groundbreaking climate change study is provoking a national backlash from scientists who say his campaign represents the most serious threat Congress has posed to scientific freedom. Representative Lamar Smith, Republican of Texas, chairman of the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, has subpoenaed scientists at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and demanded that they turn over internal emails related to their research. The reason is that the new findings contradicted earlier work showing that global warming had paused. And Smith, a climate change skeptic, has accused them of altering global temperature data and rushing to publish their research in the June issue of the journal Science so as to make climate change look worse. On Tuesday, seven scientific organizations representing hundreds of thousands of scientists sent an unsparing letter to Smith warning that his efforts are establishing a practice of inquests that will have a chilling effect. In a letter to Smith, NOAA Administrator Catherine Sullivan defended her agency's work, saying her staff is not influenced by political interference. Quote, I have not or will not allow anyone to manipulate the science or coerce the scientists who work for me, she wrote. As NOAA scientists examined recent data, they discovered that warming trends over the past few decades would be substantially larger than what the earlier data set indicated. Recall Thomas Peterson, who retired from NOAA as principal scientist in July and who was the author of the report. 
Was there a rush to get the science research out? No. Did we want to get this out to advance the science? Of course. You know, this is really uh, kind of scary, isn't it? I don't know how you feel, but I, I feel kind of scared when people absolutely refuse to listen to the scientists and set themselves up as scientists. <laughs> and we have had many programs, specials, we've done videos, we've done articles, we've had all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and I, I keep getting, uh, you know, people from the public are saying, you know, uh, it's a hoax. It's a, you know I'm I'm just like baffled, and I try to bring uh, facts and information to people so that we can make t- intelligent decisions. But when people have been influenced by scare tactics and by bogus anti-science, uh, it's it's very difficult to break through. And I hope that each and every one of you is out there and will refute this, that when you hear people talk about climate change as a hoax or uh, that it's not true or it's in the Bible and it has nothing to do with us, that you will speak up because we have got to stand up for this. This is do or die for our planet. We are so irresponsible about our behavior. This is not accountability Oneness, accountability, and mutual support. We are accountable for our behavior. And it's the same thing when it comes to the way we treat animals. And uh, we really wanted to bring a lot of stories about uh, climate change today on the Interrevolutionary News because we are in the middle of this historic uh, event in Paris and because we have this wonderful guest. So, of course, I'm not going to ask anything deep. The first thing that I'm going to ask Keegan is, how do you pronounce your name? My name is Keegan Kuhn. Keegan Kuhn, James, you did it right. You didn't say Kuhn. How did you end up with the name Kuhn instead of Kuhn? I don't get that. You're not from New York City, I guess. <laughs> my, my mother pronounces it Kuhn. Oh, see? Yeah, I grew see? up in Virginia, so I, I pronounce it Kuhn. Is that, is that what Virginians would say? <laughs> I, I suppose so. <laughs> Keegan, how did you get involved? with Cowspiracy and this whole issue of looking at the environment. It's not just climate change. It's a whole environmental story. Uh, how did you get involved with that? Uh, were you a vegan? Which, by the way, for those of you who don't know, vegans are vegetarians that don't use any animal products. For instance, they won't eat eggs. They won't eat cheese or milk. No dairy, you know, as well as they won't eat any kind of meat or fish or so on. Uh, were you already a vegan when you got involved with this film? Uh, you know, I, I, I was. I had just finished my first feature-length film, uh, and I heard that Kip Anderson, who ended up being my co-director, was trying to create this film. Um, he had this story that he was that was developing. Uh, and so we teamed up, and right from our first meeting, we started working on the project uh, because he'd been trying to get in touch with these large environmental organizations who are supposed to be the voice for sustainability and environmental conservation and find out why they weren't talking about the elephant in the room, the most destructive industry facing the planet today, which is actually animal agriculture. Now, did everybody hear that? These guys are claiming that animal agriculture is worse than the burning of fossil fuels. Is, yeah. is, am I getting that right? <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's thankfully Kip and I are, aren't scientists. We aren't the ones making the claims. It's uh, backed up by numerous studies. That everything that we speak about, both in this interview and also in in the film, uh, are backed up by peer-reviewed studies that are on our website, cowspiracy.com. Okay, now we are going to talk about some of those studies because. 
some of the people in this audience are not going to take this lying down. But I do want to say that last year, last November, we had a a four-part, two-hour special on the climate on what we then called Inside Out Radio. That was before we changed our name to Interrevolutionary Radio. And we had four fantastic panelists. And while I was doing all the research to try to put together this panel, which we, we had somebody on, you know, the solar and wind and all of that, and we had someone, just a scientist who explained the science of global warming. It was so simple, like even I understood it. And there was a mom who was organizing, you know, women, and it was very exciting. And then I kept thinking, you know, who's the fourth panelist? So I fell upon this stuff about food. Not just the animal agriculture, but just the whole food story about the transportation of food and the growing of food and plus animal agriculture. And it seemed like astounding that this was such a big story. But everywhere I went, I also had the same experience, Kip, that, you, that, that Kip and uh, Keegan had. I couldn't find anything. And I was searching high and low for somebody who could speak to this issue. And it seemed to be like invisible. So we ended up finding a woman named Laura Steck who had co-written a book years ago called Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming. And they had been on this. And she said on our show something that threw us off. She said, if you are a, a, a vegan who's driving a Hummer, you're better. Does everybody know what a Hummer is? It's one of these like auto uh, military things that ride down the road that like probably gets two miles a gallon or whatever it is. <laughs> she said a, a, a vegan driving a Hummer is having less of an impact uh, on the environment than a person who is eating the normal diet, who is doing all the good things that, you know, you, who's driving a hybrid. And we were in shock. And um, so we had some shows about vegetarianism and stuff like this. Could this be real? And then to find your film, it was so, uh, I don't know, it was refreshing. It was exciting. It was alarming. It was depressing for those of us who still are eating or had been eating animal protein that she was she was right. And it's amazing that uh, this thing is, and I don't want to go down on the environmentalists because without the environmental movement, I don't know where we would be, but it's so important. Do you really get have an idea of why this story has been so hidden? Because see, I told you that story about uh, our show because I wanted to reinforce that Keegan and Kip are not crazy. This is real. I had the same experience a year ago. And yet now I'm sure there's a lot more discussion because there is more discussion of it. And I'm sure that your film has made a difference. Well, thank you. You know, I, I think really you nailed it on the head. The beginning is that it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. And yeah. it's, it's not popular and it makes people feel uh, self-reflective of their own personal habits. Um, it's an interesting thing, you know. Diet, when we talk about climate change, it's the focus is on fossil fuels. And absolutely, it's important that we talk about fossil fuels um, because fossil fuels are a major contributor to climate change. But the large environmental organizations and society at, at large has ignored the fact that animal agriculture produces more greenhouse gases than the entire transportation sector. Um, and according to, to research from the World Bank Group, Animal agriculture is responsible for up to 51% of all human-induced greenhouse gases. So Did you hear that, guys? Could you say that again? 51% of all human-caused climate change potentially comes from animal. Now, now Keegan, how, who said that? 
Well, we seem to have lost our guest for a moment. So why don't we go to commercial break? Because we are going to get him back because we have to hear the rest of this story. Very good. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Transform yourself and your world. Check out Beth Green's online community, theinnerrevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.theinnerrevolution.org. I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Be part of the inner revolution sweeping the planet. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green on the Voice America Variety Channel. And now, also enjoy Beth's channel, Inner Revolutionary TV, on voiceamerica.tv. See inspiring videos about our guests and the inner revolution. Hear commentaries that will help clarify our time. And watch interviews of people who will matter to you. Think outside the box. Watch Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Interrevolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Interrevolutionary Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Interrevolutionary Radio. Today, we are interviewing Keegan Kuhn, who is the co-director of Cowspiracy, which is rocking a lot of people's world. And Keegan just said before the break that 50, well, I'm going to make you say this again and tell us who said that because uh, everybody's going to say, well, is that true? Is that true? Go ahead, Keegan. So according to two researchers for the World Bank Group, uh, Robert Goodlin and Jeff Onhang, they made their, an analysis on human-induced greenhouse gases and found that 51% of all human-induced greenhouse gases, so all climate change, is related to raising animals for food. So that is all the animals and including all the grains, the transportation, the respiration, the deforestation that goes along with it. So potentially half of all climate change is caused from our desire to raise animals. And you realize what that means? That means it's us! That means this is us. You know, our show is about the inner revolution, about how we're changing for, towards oneness, accountability, mutual support in all arenas, not just around climate change. But the horrifying and the good news about this is that if we're doing it, we can undo it. You know, there's a lot of things we cannot do. 
I can't stop the U.S. government from doing certain things, or I can't, but I can actually change the way that I eat. So, Keegan, give us some more of the statistics so people get an idea of what we're talking about. So it's not just this abstract number about the water and all of those awful things that you told us in the film. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think that what you said is exactly it, is that we do have a choice uh, compared to the other aspects. Is I, I don't have the power necessarily to change the uh, energy infrastructure of the United States, but I do have the power to control what goes in and out of my body. Um, and so if I'm choosing to support an industry that's, you know, perpetuating climate change, then I have to take responsibility for that and be accountable for it. But so when we look at climate change, that's just one aspect of animal agriculture. The, the fact that 91% of Brazilian Amazon destruction has been linked with animal agriculture is a huge culprit in this, is that when we clear forests, you know, about 45% of the Earth's ice-free land is used for animal agriculture, and much of that used to be forest. We clear forests to make room to graze animals and to grow their feed crops. Well, that's removing carbon sequestering sponges from ecosystems. But carbon sequestering sponges, it means that the trees, they absorb the carbon dioxide. See, that's what they mean by that. And it, you know, that cleans the air for us. So first we're polluting more, and then we're getting rid of our mops. Exactly. That's exactly it. There's a there's actually a researcher, two researchers, um, who are publishing a report coming out next month uh, that show that if we simply took animals off of uh, grasslands that was formerly forest, that we'd be able to sequester more carbon from the atmosphere than we've emitted in the last 200 years. So basically, 265 gigatons of carbon that's in the atmosphere we could pull out simply by letting forest regenerate. And My God. But what so, would it take to get those, those forests to regenerate? For uh, about 40% of, uh, it's about 30% of grasslands that were formerly forests, they'll yeah. come back naturally. And so that if we, oh, look, they, at, yeah, oh. if we look at Brazil, for example, they've cleared mass, massive swaths of Brazilian Amazon uh, to graze cattle. The forest wants to come back. And in some areas, they'll have to be replanted. But it'll be vastly less energy efficient than it is to raise animals on that land today. See, see, James, we should feel good about the fact that we live in the forest and we don't cut down trees. That's true. See, we're helping. But that still doesn't mean that we can continue eating meat. Now, what about – oh, yeah, and then there's the water statistic, which is going to shock everybody. Yeah, it's uh, up to a third of all freshwater use in the world is for animal agriculture which is just shocking when we look at the fact that close to a billion people every day don't have access to fresh drinking water, that a third of the planet's water is being given to livestock or livestock's feed crops is pretty astounding. You know, I did notice that chicken and goats, I saw this little graph that chicken and goats don't use as much water as cows do by long shot, that chickpeas, I think, have use more water than goats do. Uh, is there any difference in terms of the environmental impact of, like, say, the, the growing of the, you know, the animal husbandry of goats or chickens? Yeah, so, I mean, definitely there's a, a very clear hierarchy when it comes to the water footprint of a product. Cows have, uh, it's about 2,500 gallons of water to produce a pound of beef versus 600 gallons to produce a pound of chicken. Um, but you can produce a pound of potatoes with 60 gallons of water. So there's there's definitely, you know, less water-intensive animal products, but nothing comes close to the water uh, conservation of eating plants directly. Because when people measure the water footprint, so for example, I'm, I'm not sure what the graph you saw, but they may have been looking at direct consumption, so what the goat yeah. or chicken actually drinks per day versus 
all of the water that had to go into the feed that the right. animals ate. Um, right. And that's an important part of it because otherwise we're not looking at the entire cycle. Now, okay, there's that piece. And then there's the other piece, which is, you know, I have always felt that if I had to kill an animal to eat it, I would have been a vegetarian a long time ago. And I think that there's something that we go through that we just uh, don't want to feel what we're doing. You know, um, we separate ourselves from the people who have to do this work, the farmers who have to kill their animals, the, the kids who grow up on farms and love their little, you know, their their ducks or their turkeys or whatever, and then they get accustomed to having to kill them. They have to get uh, you know, socialized and programmed into killing your best friend. You know, it's like we would be horrified if we killed our dogs, most of us anyway. In China, they eat dogs. But, um, you know, there is another aspect to it, which is the suffering of the animals. Now, I, I know that we see the grass-fed animals. I mean, they're so much better off the animal itself than in these industrial. When you, dr- when you drive through central California, it's like horrifying. You can't even look. To see the condition that these poor animals are living in. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The the condition, the way animals are, are raised is horrific. Um, we really try to not focus on that too much in the film. And the film isn't full of a lot of graphic footage because... I know. Yeah. I know, because people like me couldn't even watch it then. <laughs> absolutely. And, and and to be honest, those films have, have already been made. There's an extremely powerful documentary called Earthlings, directed by Sean Munson, who shows the the reality of what animals go through on farms. We really wanted to show the reality of what this industry is having on the planet. Um, and so we didn't, it's not a graphic film for the most part. It's really just focused on the facts and statistics. And, and it's actually a, a pretty entertaining and I think oftentimes uh, comical film. And we try to make it as funny as possible for how serious the subject matter is at least. You did a fantastic job because really it's almost like a mystery, you know, movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thank you. Where, why, where is, where, why is nobody talking about this? Why is nobody talking about it? So you have suspense and you have, yeah, so it's not real graphic, but it doesn't have to be. It's sickening enough. Just the information that you give us is sickening enough. And then just a few, uh, you know, of the realities. In fact, there, there is a scene where uh, somebody goes to see the killing of a chicken and he ends up with the chicken in his animal rescue. Now, uh, Keegan, you have already done a film uh, called Turlock. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Turlock was my first feature-length film. It's uh, about the largest animal rescue in California history, the second largest rescue in U.S. history. And it was a factory farm, egg farm, that abandoned 50,000 hens in wire battery cages for over two weeks without food. And so it follows the story of the rescuers who stepped in to try and save as many of their lives as possible. How did they find out about it? Um, They found out about it because of uh, neighbors complaining due to the smell. About a third of the animals had already died and were decomposing Uh, in their cages. I mean, it was a truly horrific, horrific scene. Oh, my God. And so... when did you get called in? How did you get involved in that? Uh, I've been involved in animal rescue and animal work for almost my entire life. And I was working, uh, volunteering with the organization Animal Place, who spearheaded the rescue efforts. And so they said, hey, we heard about this farm. Would you be willing to go check it out? And being a filmmaker, of course, I started documenting it immediately. Um, so I was there from, from basically day one. As soon as the authorities were there, I was there. I mean, that's such a shocking story, isn't it? But then, you know, we have our cousins, the chimpanzees in cages. Absolutely. You know, and, and whales. You know, I, we are so 
I don't know. You know, the ego of humanity. We're think, we think we're the only ones who count. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, and I want to have some compassion because there are people who are going to be listening to this show and said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I can't do it. I, I know that if I don't eat cheese and eggs, I'm not going to make it. I have, I'm very unhealthy. I can't even, I can barely survive anyway. And I think we all have to look in our hearts and say, okay, what can we do? And so we're not here to shame anybody. And that's the beauty of the film too. They're not shaming anybody. Saying, what can we do? So I feel like, yes, I could do a vegetarian diet. And uh, we eat uh, goat cheese and occasionally we eat eggs and you know we at least we have free range and all of that but uh, but one of the points that the film makes is that these uh, more humane practices don't necessarily change the environmental impact and that's that sad reality that we keep coming back to so yeah that- I mean that that is the truth is that you know there's definitely the animals who live free range uh, and organic and who are naturally uh, allowed to live out their lives and until they're killed obviously yeah. is so much better for the animal's well-being yeah but the reality is is that in fact grass-fed beef is is worse for the environment than uh, factory raised beef and, and the reason for that is efficiency you know the animals who are raised in extreme confinement on feedlots are fed grains which are more efficient you don't need as much land to produce uh, they yeah. get fat quicker and so they slaughter them at an earlier age there's not as much land that's needed uh, so the deforestation is less so in, so from an ecological standpoint eating free range or grass fed is actually worse for the planet uh, isn't that horrifying it's it's horrifying but I'm yeah. going to still, since I have to eat cheese and eggs, I'm going to still use the, because I think if everybody cut back dra- drastically, like we, we, you know, we're getting rid of eating meat and everybody just ate some goat cheese and some eggs, that, that would have a huge impact on the environment. Whatever we can do will have an impact. Next week, we're having on a chef, Laura Steck, the one that we spoke to last year, and, you know, she helps people. Uh, you know, she talks about how how to eat and how we can really enjoy uh, this change and not just feel like we're, something is being taken away from us. But everything, every step that we take is something that that will have an impact. And that's the great thing about it. Just cut back and you're having an impact. You, you know what I mean? What, whatever we do. So Yeah. Um, just to, to add yeah. to that is, you know, that was something with the film. We didn't want viewers to feel judged or to feel, um, you know, really that we were coming after them in any way. Because for most people watching the film, this is entirely new information. So how could you possibly judge somebody for not knowing the information when the information has been hidden from them? And we really, you know, it's it's about providing information, allowing people to make up their own minds what they think is the most sustainable choice and, and really what benefits all life on this planet. Um Though what we do have is we've made on our website, com a resource for people who are interested in making changes. So we have a 30-day vegan challenge, which was developed by the author, Colleen Patrick Crudeau. And it's an amazing resource for 30 days. You get emails and recipes and videos. And she basically virtually holds your hand through this 30-day process, transitioning towards a a whole foods, plant-based vegan lifestyle. And we've had over 30,000 people sign up for it. So it's oh. been amazingly successful. Wow. Uh, we continue to hear from people every single day that that course has ha- allowed them to make the transition you know, effortlessly. Well, th- I think that's fantastic. I mean, it it's really so, is. Uh, well, isn't it fantastic to feel like 
you've accomplished something that has impacted so many people. You had, uh, I had been feeling for a long time because I've always wanted to be a vegetarian. I tried being a vegetarian, you know, maybe 30 years ago. I didn't have the information I needed. I had very poor health. I was falling down, dropping things. You know what I mean? I'm sick anyway, so this didn't work out really well for me. So I went back to eating meat, and I always feel kind of nauseated when I eat meat. Or Oh, and the story of fish. Oh, is that depressing? That I mean, like, there's, you know, we're killing off all the fish in the sea every time we eat fish. And uh, it's, uh, uh, that's another horrifying piece of this. But anyway, I felt very alone at that time and uh, didn't know what to do. And to have all of these resources... So I ended up not knowing how to cope. And uh, the, the world that we live in today, it's so different. There's so much more information. There's so much support for us. So we watched. So I've been talking to James. I think I really need to do this. James, my husband, those of you who don't know that James is my husband, he's our, you know, our co-host. So after we watched your film, it was, he said, that's it. We're going to become vegans, right? <laughs> and, and he's been angry at me ever since. So tell the truth, and we're, t- and we're sharing this because there are other people out there who are going to have similar kinds of reactions, you know, so please, James, talk a little bit about the slow burn. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, I've enjoyed my beef and my poultry, my turkey, my chicken, and my fish, and I've come up with some recipes that are really yummy, and so uh, I, I, I kind of held out. At first I thought, oh, that veganism sounds like a good idea. And then we, from talking with one of our doctors, we thought, oh, maybe it's a little bit more moderate to uh, go into being vegetarian. But my attitude was, let's phase into it slowly. (laughs) Really slowly. (laughs) Please don't don't take those yummy foods away from me. (laughs) But I realized that uh, there were lots of yummy vegetarian dishes that we started having. And so we're just basically using up what we now have. We're not buying any more beef, any more fish, any more chicken or turkey, anything like that. And we're just going to use it up, and that'll be the end of it. And uh, it feels good because that's our small contribution to diminishing the, 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 the climate change problem. Well, that's great. And that's, that's, that's such a positive thing to hear. I think that's something for people to understand, too, is that, yeah, everything is, is part of a process. Um, and so that whether people decide to go vegan overnight after watching the film or whether they decide to eat less meat, those are all positive things. I think it's, it's always the, and I think part of Interrevolutionary Radio kind of speaks to that, is that what can we all do to be truly accountable for our actions? <clears throat> and so just living as consciously as possible uh, and just, just to know the whole aspect of of where our food comes from and really what goes into it. Oh, yes, absolutely. I love that. Well, we are going to be talking more about this when we come back from break. But first, before we go to break, James, I, you haven't admitted how mad you've been about this. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had a few uh, arguments <laughs> along the way here. Like, wait a minute, you wanted to jump right into the vegetarianism. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How about every other day we have uh, some kind of fish or poultry? <laughs> we, used to call, we used to call that modified vegetarianism. And uh, <laughs> Well, what I'm saying is 
don't feel bad if you have a reaction. You're yeah. not the only one. That people will have a, a reaction because we're all raised with the attitude that we're the only ones who count. I mean, isn't that the whole problem with our world? We think we're the only ones who count. It's whether we're the only species who count or we're the only family that counts. We're mm. the only race that counts. We're the only religion that counts. You know, I am the only individual that counts because <laughs> my hangnail hurts more than you hurts me more than your broken leg so this is a the, what is so great about this is that this is kind of exploding the whole issue about our accountability towards one another towards the people whose lives are being not only inconvenienced but endangered by global warming by the horrific changes in our climate by the suffering of the animals because we aren't the only ones that count and that we're in that we'll all be a lot happier if our world is in a in better shape so anyway that's my theory but i would like to find out more about keegan and how he became who he is and something more about his life as a documentary filmmaker when we come back but we are going to our last commercial break the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com transform yourself and your world Check out Beth Green's online community, theinnerrevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.theinnerrevolution.org. I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Inner Revolutionary Radio. Hi, welcome back, and we're talking to Keegan Kuhn. Keegan Kuhn. See, I've got a re- remap my brain here. I grew up pronouncing that name Kuhn, uh, about he's the co-director of Cowspiracy, which is 
a fantastic film about animal agriculture and the impact on the environment. And so, you know, if you've tuned in late, that's who we're talking to. And James reminded me, before I get into asking Keegan more about himself, uh, in our last segment, I would, you know, this whole course, the whole film was about the conspiracy, uh, the, the cowspiracy. Of why don't we know more about this? So uh, what did you guys discover when you were out trying to find out why the invent- environmental movement isn't talking about this hugely important factor? You know, something that we explore a lot in the film is, yeah, why, if animal agriculture is a leading cause of rainforest destruction, species extinction, topsoil erosion, water consumption, water pollution, ocean dead zones, climate change, I mean, literally every environmental ill facing the planet today, why wouldn't the large environmental organizations be talking about it and have it as their forefront issue? And we came, you know, we leave it up to the viewers for, to decide for themselves, but I think there's a, a couple key issues in it. One of them is the organizations are afraid of talking about the issue for fear of scaring off donors. Talking about lowering or eliminating animal consumption from your diet is not a popular thing still today in our society. Um, I think that plays a role into it, but I think there's also the aspect that there's a lot of repression in the United States around talking against animal agriculture. I mean, if we look back into the 1990s when Oprah Winfrey and former cattle rancher Howard Lyman were sued for speaking out about mad cow disease on the Oprah Winfrey show. They were sued by a group of Texas cattlemen who sued them under a little-known law called uh, food disparagement laws. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And, oh, it's, it's, un, it's crazy. It's beyond crazy. <laughs> but what has happened since then is that we've actually had more laws created. There's the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, which, which says that anyone who disrupts the business of an animal enterprise is committing an act of terrorism, which is just unbelievable. I mean, it's such 1984 doublespeak. Someone who saves a life from a farm is a terrorist, where someone who kills lives on a farm is, you know, just doing their job. Uh, and then we have these laws in a number of states, uh, ag-gag laws, which make it illegal to document the atrocities being committed on farms, both against the animals and the environment, without the written consent of the owner. And these are yeah, right. laws... These are laws that don't benefit consumers in any way. They were entirely made by the industry, dictated to the government, and the government passed them. Um, so that's definitely one of the reasons why these organizations may or may not be talking about it. But I think a big part of it, too, is that the people who run these organizations, who are on the boards of these organizations, they they eat animal products themselves. And how are yeah. you going to talk about these issues if you're not willing to make lifestyle changes your, yourself? Um, and I, I think there is a certain level of truth to that but i do also think that just as the film does we don't expect these organizations to dictate anyone's behavior just provide the information allow people to make up their own minds and so to have campaigns and what we want to see from these organizations is to allow people to understand that the impact that their choices make don't tell them what to do just just provide the information you know i think it's happening i think that there is movement i think the environmental uh, movement is beginning to recognize it because I've heard that there is things now on the websites of, I don't know, Greenpeace or so on, stuff that wasn't there even a year ago. Uh, that's what I've heard anyway, that there's been yeah. some movement there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not that the people are bad. I think about, you know, we, we have something now called the Campaign to Unite All Movements. And we're asking people to really unite and fight not only for ourselves but for each other. It's on our website. It's on our Facebook page. It's the first thing on 
uh, Beth Green and the Inner Revolution is our Facebook page. And the first thing is this campaign to unite all movements. That would mean, see, I would want the environmentalists like you to stand up against the persecution of Muslims. And uh, the the Muslims to stand up against the persecution of gays. And the gays to uh, so on and so on. It's like, when are we all going to get together and realize there is only one fight and that we have to fight together? But unfortunately, we kind of like have these little specialty, these little boutique fights, right? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I, I 100% agree that there is a, there's a very clear intersectionality of oppression that exists. You know, the oppression of the environment is also the oppression of people. It's also the oppression that exists inside society. And as Dr. Salesh Rao, who's one of the researchers uh, who's doing a lot of work in this field, he's, he clearly says, he goes, by definition, violence is unsustainable, and therefore nonviolence is the only thing sustainable. We can continue to be violent, but you're violent against an ecosystem or violence against a group of people. Eventually, you will destroy that ecosystem or group of people or whoever you're being violent against. So it cannot be, be sustained. For nonviolence, it's, it's the opposite. It is allowed per, to perpetuate forever because it is about coexistence. And I think that's what we really should be looking at is, is how do we live more nonviolently on this planet? And that's in every aspect of our lives, both towards each other and towards the, the ecosystems that we depend on. I, uh, You know, I'm inviting you to come onto our website and sign up. Uh, you know, and endorse our campaign. We need people who really get it that we have to take it all on. It isn't, there isn't one issue. I mean, even climate change, as much as this is the live or die issue of the planet, it's really about us. It's about our changing the way that we relate to ourselves, to one another, and to our planet. And I, I hope everybody, hey, everybody who's listening, you can all come on because we want organizations to sign up, but we're also open to individuals signing on. Uh, and I'm, I'm putting out some statements, too. I just put out a statement about abortion and a statement about uh, the police, about you know abortion. We have to admit that there is a living thing in a woman. And we can't only think about the woman's rights. We also have to think about the consciousness. But we have to be thinking. We have to come together and get honest and really see how we can tackle the issue of unwanted pregnancies and not just try to foist, you know, not shoot people at Planned Parenthood as a solution, but, you know, a nonviolent solution. Uh, but that we have to get real. All of us have to get real. Just like we have to get real about the life that's in the woman, just like we have to get real about the uh, you know the the, the 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 rights of the planet and the rights of the other animals, and uh, we have to get real about everything. We have to support police people who got we give them guns, and they're just like us. They get nuts and they kill people. I've killed people in my mind many times. You know we don't give any support. We polarize. We point fingers, but we don't heal. We don't come together. And we don't help each other. And it just makes me want to cry. It really does. And I think what you guys are doing is so beautiful. Keegan, how did you get to be who you are, get so involved with animals? And, uh, you know, we have a couple minutes left. And, and how can you take it? I was asking Keegan during the break, uh, you know, how does it feel to be a documentary filmmaker who has to see all this pain and suffering? So first, how did you get involved in, you know, caring so for animals? Uh, I was raised uh, with two tenants in my, my family that my mom get passed on to me, which was never hurt anybody, and that meant don't hurt your brother's body, your sister's body, a rat's body, a cow's body, don't hurt anybody, and always question authority. And oh, I like, yay! I think I like your mom. 
Oh, she's an amazing <laughs> woman. And I, and I feel like those, those really set me up for, for how my life has been shaped. Um, because I try and live as, as nonviolently as possible, as, as peacefully as possible. And, but then to always question authority on every level. And that's includes my own authority and question what I, I think and my own doctrines and my own beliefs. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so that's really set me up for, for getting involved in, in social justice movements, um, from whether it's anti-poverty work. I spent the first, um, spent about 11 years as an organic farm developer designing and teaching people about small scale organic agriculture around the world on how to feed communities and with limited resources. Um, and and deal with anti-oppression work still today with human rights and animal rights issues. And, of course, environmental issues have always been close to my heart because without a planet to live on, you know, we What's everything else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. How? There, is, there is no planet B, right? It's, yeah, exactly. it's right. You know, who cares how much gold you have under the bed when you're dead? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, when, you know, you can't go out anymore. Uh, you know, just wh- I, I want to come back to the question about how you can how you can face being... Um, you know, a documentary filmmaker documenting all the suffering. But I do have to ask you to say something about fishing because I think people think, well, I'll eat fish. That isn't a problem. Yeah, three-quarters of the world's fisheries, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organizations, have been depleted or in or have, are in the process of being depleted. So the really we're looking at the potential to have fishless oceans by the year 2048, which is just unfathomable. But the rate that we're fishing fish into extinction it is a very real possibility. The oceans are essentially collapsing. And a lot of organizations will, will tout this belief of sustainable fishing. The truth is there's no such thing as sustainable fishing. We, we are a terrestrial species. We have evolved on land. And we've moved into the oceans relatively recently in the last several hundred years as an alien species. And we are mining the oceans in the same way we strip mine mountains. We don't yeah. give anything back. And so really a, a complete abandonment of of and of fish products, and that includes farmed fish because farmed fish are fed grains or they're fed wild-caught fish, is really absolutely essential for us to, to restore the oceans. The oceans do have the ability to bounce back, but they're only going to bounce back when we leave them alone. When we, when we stop doing what we're doing. In one minute, Keegan, tell us, how can you face the pain that you have to document? I, I think it's always putting the the victim's pain before my, my own is that mm-hmm. what, what are others going through and, and how important is it to tell their story? And so that's with my first film, Turlock, watching thousands of animals die, literally holding animals as they took their last breaths was incredibly heartbreaking, but it's so important to tell their story so that their life does have meaning. Uh, and, and I think that all life does matter and, and that we have to do everything we can to preserve life and to honor life. Oh, God. You're so great. Uh, James, tell us, uh, we're going to say goodbye to you. You're not off the hook yet. But first, James is going to tell us what we're doing next week. Yes, next week. Healthy holidays, happy taste buds, and a sustainable environment. Let Laura Steck show us how. We all have weather and we all eat food. In fact, we do it several times a day. So here's a topic for us all. With the UN Conference on Climate Change, climate is in the news, and so is a new focus on food and the environment, what we eat, as well as how we grow and distribute it. Today, we interviewed Keegan Kuhn, director of Cowspiracy, who gave us more information than some of us wanted about the impact of animal agriculture on the environment. But don't despair. This week, next week, 
we're interviewing Laura Steck, co-author of Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming. Laura has been talking about food and the environment for a long time, but she is not just giving us gloom and doom. She's offering lots of ways that can change our diet, get healthier, eat better, and help our planet. Laura is an expert. She's a chef, a health health consultant, and a pioneer. So, if you want to make a painless switch to a diet that is better for us and our world, tune in. And healthy holidays. So, and now we know of another resource which Keegan told us about, which is on Cowspiracy.com. Tell us again the name of that, Keegan. So, we have a 30-day vegan challenge on Cowspiracy.com. It's on our Take Action page. I really encourage people to go and check it out. They can watch the film on our website. They can also watch the film on Netflix, which the Netflix version was executive produced by Leonardo DiCaprio, which, of course, we're thrilled about. Oh, I am thrilled, too. I didn't know that you could watch it on your page because somebody was writing to me saying, where can I see this film? Yeah, so, um, com. Yay. Gosh, Keegan. You know, I was feeling pretty depressed from the news, and you've given me uh, a burst. <laughs> well, thank you. And likewise. You know, change is happening. It absolutely is. I know. And, you know, for every step forward, we should expect that there is going to be some resistance because human consciousness, well, it has a little while, uh, <laughs> it has a little growing up to do. Uh, we all have to get over <laughs> thinking that we are the center of the universe. So God bless you. And thank you so much for being with us. And keep us as a resource for you. Any news about you and Cowspiracy, let us know. We can put it on the news of the inner revolution. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us. 